In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. All right, Ryan Roxy here. Welcome to another podcast edition of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Today we have, I think, a very worthy candidate of being in the trenches because he has been in the trenches. Would you please welcome to the show, Mr. Steve Brown? Hello, Steve. What's up? Hey, Ryan. How you doing? How you doing, everybody? Welcome, uh, welcome to the show, and greetings from sunny New Jersey. I like the fact that we're doing this definitely uh, intercontinental, it would be, because they're transatlantic. Because I'm, I'm in Stockholm, you're in Jersey, and just two guys talking about guitars, uh, what it's like to make a living doing what you always wanted to do. I assume playing guitar and singing and making music is what you always wanted to do, correct? Oh, without a doubt, since I was eight years old, man, I got the bug after seeing Kiss and Van Halen in 1978, and it's completely changed my life. And, you know, 40, 40 years later, here I am, <laughs> healthy, happy, and pretty. <laughs> <laughs> man, so you you have a very cool first concert. Is, was that your first one that you said? Is that the one that sort of made you light bulb moment? Yeah, I mean, Kiss in 1970, well, I say 1978 because that was the year that I, uh, you know, Kiss Rock and Roll Over was the first life-changing record for me, and then Van Halen won, so both in 1978, and that's when I started playing guitar, and my first concert was Kiss, the original Kiss 1979 at Madison Square Garden on the Dynasty Tour, and uh and then my second concert was Van Halen in 1982 uh, on the Diver Down tour. So both those, you know, first two concerts, first two rock records that I really, you know, completely changed my life. And that was I, I sold my soul to rock and roll in those years for sure. I see a running theme with a lot of the guys that we have on the show. Of course, most of the guys we have are guitar players thus far, but that first Van Halen record is a reoccurring therm theme of inspiration, right? Oh, without question. I mean, you can't, I mean, for, for the type of music that I do and I think you love and what we grew up on, whether, you know, Van Halen, Kiss, Cheap Trick, Def Leppard, Bond, all the, all the great bands of that era, you know, Van Halen won. And still to this day, which is still amazing to me, and I was thinking about this before, you know, every time I hear Eruption and I hear the first Van Halen record, I go, this record still sounds and holds up as good as it did in nine. I mean, in 1978, it was groundbreaking. It was like you didn't even know when you heard Eruption if that was a guitar or not. Yeah. It sounded like a video game. It sounded some. It was beyond comprehension. And still to this day, you know, when I try to like compare it to other things. In my opinion, Eruption is still the greatest guitar solo. No one's ever come close to topping it, even in this day, in this day of guitar players, where guitar playing, as you know and I know, has gone beyond the realm of guitar playing. It, guys are so good and technically amazing, but they've still, no one has ever come close to bettering Eruption, in my opinion. Wow, that's that's a great sell for for eruption as the new national anthem. It should probably be the new rock national anthem for sure. Well, yeah, in a way, shape, or form, but definitely guitar playing. And for those that you, and for those of you listening out there that are from 
the newer age, the new kids on the block that are picking up guitar and playing it. I know that myself, and and I could probably speak for you, Steve, we learned eruption the old-fashioned way. We scratched records. We basically took the needle off the uh, vinyl before vinyl was hip again. And we actually ended up, I I ruined a couple copies of Van Halen 1 trying to trying to pick out eruption, and I never did. We didn't have that smart little YouTube slowing down the pitch uh, setting because we didn't freaking have YouTube. <laughs> it's incredible, man. You know, and I teach guitar, so I tell all my students, you know, we're here and they want to learn stuff, and I just pull it up on YouTube, and I go to them. I go, man, you have no idea how lucky you are. When I was a kid, it was slow down the record. When we got, remember when we got four tracks and we were able to put the cassette in and slow that down? And, oh. I mean, the stuff that we would go through to learn stuff, now everything is there, and, you know, whether you have guitar pro all these tab things it's really in this day and age to learn guitar and i think that's also why you see kids on youtube who've only been playing a year and they go from zero to a hundred in a year it's incredible and you know hey man it is what it is and that's the beauty of it it's great to see kids of this day and age really wanting to learn guitar and go so quickly to a to an incredible um, level of playing that we weren't able to do as kids, but you know, hey. There's always a converse though, Steve, I say this because as much as we have these tools and as much as there is YouTube and so much more of a community that, that where the learning curve can shoot up, there's also that many more things to do. When we were learning how to play guitar, it was what? It was soccer practice or playing the guitar. And that yeah. for me, that, that was the two things or, totally. or, or maybe some Little League baseball. But, you yeah. know, you didn't have, you know, 18 different types of video games to play any one given afternoon. Or you didn't have a million and one YouTube channels to go check out to learn anything you wanted to in the world. Or, you know, we didn't have the option of seeing any movie ever made in our house. <laughs> You're right, man. I mean, that that is the cool thing. And, you know, thank God, like I tell everybody, listen, we were, we grew up in the greatest time in the world, you know, for music. And, and I think in life in general, the 70s and 80s, I was born in 1970, AM radio in the 70s, the some of the greatest music. I mean, I'm a huge soft rock fan, you know, all those great bands of that era, the songwriting, the singing, the playing. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And then get into the hard rock in the 80s. I mean, dude, you were there before I was, and what an incredible time to grow up, you know? Well, we were there about the same time. You were just way younger. <laughs> because yeah. you, your band actually, you know, with Trickster, it, I remember you guys coming out and everybody looking over their shoulder going, who are these kids rocking and rolling because they're really delivering? Do you think yeah. that Trickster, there was some early Van Halen influence, some AM radio influence? Did all those things go into Trickster? It was all of it, man, you know, and that was that was the cool thing for me, you know, growing up, I was such a huge fan of music, you know, whether it was my mom and dad listening to Fleetwood Mac, the Beatles, Elvis, Neil Diamond in my house, and then me, you know, getting turned on to, you know, like I said, Kiss and Van Halen so early, it was immediate, and I think Trickster, and, you know, the cool thing, what I learned very early on, and I don't know how I learned it, I think it was just fate, I learned 
very early on, along with learning how to play guitar and do all the, you know, all the cool Eddie Van Halen stuff and Ace Freely and whatever. But I also learned how important the song was and songwriting. So right when I started playing guitar, right when I got good enough to do stuff, I started writing songs because I was like, you know, I, and uh, this goes back to the vinyl era of looking at the credits on the record. And I would see, you know, Rick Nielsen. I would see, you know, written by Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, written by Eddie Van Halen, you know, David Lee Roth, Michael Anthony and Alex Van Halen. And, you know, I didn't learn later on that those guys, you know, Alex and Michael really didn't write the songs. But, you know, I learned very early on songwriting as far as, you know, and I learned that from reading songwriting credits. I'm like, man, I got to learn how to write songs. And I learned like I think we all did by basically copying the songs that we loved and taking parts. And, you know, and some of them were really shitty. But then I stumbled on early on. I stumbled on some things where I was like, hey, man, this is really cool. And, you know, it was kind of a combination of all my influences, you know, and I always and I've never been shy about saying, hey, man, Trickster was a combination of Van Halen, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, every influence I ever had written on my sleeve and it was all that and whether it was it was ever that good no it was in my opinion never that good but it was trickster for better or worse it was my songs my style you know exactly well you you mentioned a couple of those bands that you were influenced how surreal or cool is it that years later you end up jamming with those bands and playing gigs as a member of some of those bands, you know, most uh, notably Def Leppard, correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a- You cite them as an influence and all of a sudden you're on stage with them rocking. Sure. We'll we'll get back to that a little bit. I kind of want to go a little bit more chronological because, you know, you're talking about learning guitar and uh, learning songs first. As a teacher, is it, I always try to get some sort of golden ticket knowledge from yeah. from you guys that play guitar. That if you could give it to some other aspiring guitar player, what would be one of the first and mostly important things that you would tell someone to learn on the guitar? Would it be their power chords? Would it be their first position chords? Or would it be a lick on their notes? What 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 advice would you give for someone learning? Because I know we have a lot of. Uh, aspiring guitar players that listen to the podcast what what would be your sort of advice your golden ticket advice yeah i mean honestly there's a there's three things that i would tell every guitar player every young guitar player to focus on right now in their career which is first you know building your chops and with chops that doesn't mean just sweet picking and licks and then playing chords not just power chords power chords to me it's the most important thing. If you want to be a hard rock, rock player, melodic rock, you know, look, hey, look at Billy Joe from Green Day, man. The guy sold 50 million records with four power chords, man. You know, it's, yeah. you know, the, the three major chords and the one minor. That's all you need, really, you know, if you look at it. But with that being said, so learn your guitar parts and whatever you want to do, learn lead, learn how to bend a note and bend a note in tune and, you know, play, play play, you know, tastefully and I'm learn still, how to still learning that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, Hey man, there's a lot of guitar players out there and who shall re- remain lame, nameless in some of the biggest bands in the world who still can't bend a note in tune, you know, <laughs> but they've sold, you know, a hundred million records. So who am I to talk? But if you can work on that, the other thing, guitar players, 
play to a metronome, learn to play in time, learn timing. Now, the most important thing is songwriting. Learn to write a song. I don't care how fast you can play, how many licks you can play. No one cares if you can't play in a good song. So if you want to try to make it in this business, it's all about songs. You got to learn to write songs. Then another important thing, but get yourself a Pro Tools rig, get yourself Logic, get yourself um, what's the other one? Cubase. Learn how to record and produce yourself. That the money that I've saved in the fact that I, when I bought this house 26 years ago with Trickster money, and you know the greatest gift in the world. The first thing I did. No, I didn't go out and buy a Ferrari. No, I didn't go out and buy a Corvette. I went out and bought a recording studio, and that money has paid itself back to me a hundred times over. The single most greatest investment I ever made was learning how to record myself, produce myself, so I don't have to pay other people to do it right there. And then the last thing, the last piece of advice, the, the most important thing as far as I'm concerned is all guitar players learn how to sing and learn how to sing well, because, you know, and Steve Lukather and numerous guitar players have said this a hundred times over. I got the gig because I could sing. And I'll tell you this right now and getting, we'll go back to this later on. I got the Def Leppard gig. No, not because I'm a, a, a great guitar player. I got the Def Leppard gig because I can sing as good as a lead singer, sometimes better than some lead singers. <laughs> so that is so important. And I think it gets overlooked. I know a lot of great guitar players and a lot of great guitar players who are out there doing big gigs who aren't that great as singers. And if they were better singers, maybe they'd get better gigs. Well. You know what? That is a very important thing that you say about guitar playing and singing because it is really important in your career not to be self-conscious about your voice. Because so many people that are, uh, they play an instrument, they don't feel they can sing just because. And, and they go, well, you know, because I play guitar. I, I, no, you should have that confidence. And don't let any lead singer or anybody else tell you that you can't. Because I'll be honest with you, no one can sing your songs unless you find that really special guy every once in a while, and they do exist, but no one can sing your songs better than you can. And and wow. unless you, and, and until you find that guy, you know what, sticks, and, and, and even when you do it's find true. that guy, you'll put that harmony on that song, and that's when magic happens. When you think about those great two vocal harmonies, whether all the way from the Beatles to Oasis to, you know, there, there's so every great band. Yeah. Bon Jovi, especially John and Richie. That's a huge, and that was a huge influence for me growing up. You know, I saw what those guys did and I kind of took that and I learned Richie Sambora was a huge influence on me as far as the singing guitar player aspect, because that guy, you know, dude, let's, let's be honest here, man. That guy is one of the, a great rock singer, better than most lead singers in bands. I played with the guy, you know, and man, he is just beyond 
belief. And, you know, so that was always my thing. And that's what I did with Trickster. You know, all the Trickster songs, I sang those songs first and gave Pete the demos, you know, when we used to make demos back in the day. And, you know, that was the blueprint. And then, you know, with him and producers or whatever, they would kind of take it to the next level. But, uh, you know, just what you said, no one sings your songs better than you. And, you know, for me, that's always been sort of a, you know, a, a, a sticking point, so to but, speak. But just looking at some of the names of guys that you have played with and some of these singers, I mean, you've worked with some incredible vocalists. And yes. that's that's why I, I, I'm happy you have the confidence as a guitarist and a singer, because when you're playing on the same stage as guys like Eric Martin, Mr. Big, you know, I knew Eric Martin when he was a solo artist in the, yes. in the uh, Bay Area. That's where I grew up. And he was he was sort of the guy back then, even then. Dennis DeYoung, Sticks, are you kidding of course. me? I mean, Joe and Turner. So so these are like powerhouse vocalists that you're going on stage with. So, you know, talking about the Def Leppard, bringing up a guy like uh, Joe, Joe Elliott as a lead vocalist, what was he expecting you to do when you stepped into that role well the most important part you know like i said the reason i got the gig is you know this goes back 30 years friendship of those guys i mean i met them when i was 17 years old before trickster got signed their old manager peter mensch q prime was the guy who helped us help trickster out help get our record deal so we immediately were brought to meet the def leppard guys and Phil and I hit it off and fast forward to, you know, 2013, um, Vivian got a diagnosis of cancer and Phil was like, I got the guy. And Phil over the years after Trickster, I had a bunch of bands that I took over lead singing in, Throwing Rocks, Soaked, 40 Foot Ringo, Stereo Fallout. And Phil was always such a great um cheerleader for me and always wanted to help and you know joe as it turned out was a huge fan of the 40 foot ringo album and so when he knew of my voice so as soon as phil was like i got the guy who could fill in for vivian because vivian has to do all the high you know the high parts and the the sort of you know superhero vocals you know not to say that joe doesn't do some superhero vocals with the high stuff that he's doing but um so that was it man and you know and i and i say this you know kind of as a funny thing but it's very serious joe said to me you know when we were rehearsing we didn't really rehearse but he said to me before the first show, he goes, I don't care what you do on your guitar tonight, but just make sure you're there for the vocals. You know, that's Joe being the captain of the ship, you know, and he kind of and I went out there and I knew what I had to do. And, you know, the great thing is with Def Leppard, those guys, that was one of my biggest influences and one of my favorite bands. You know, everything I do, I when I'm recording, writing, producing, I have the Def Leppard Mutt Lang stamp that goes on it. And I go, what would Mutt do? What would Def Leppard do? And how does this stack up? You know, so to get called and be a, you know, a fill-in guy for Def Leppard and fill in not only for Vivian, but last year I filled in for Phil. So getting to play for both guitar players, I mean, dude, it's kind of like, you know, for me, kind of the top of Mount Everest. So now you now you know both guitar players parts or did you play pretty much your own stuff? 
No, no, I had to learn. I had to play both both parts, you know, and the both different parts. And, you know, the Def Leppard stuff is not the easiest stuff in the world. And the cool thing about Def Leppard is everybody listens to it. It sounds so sweet and so perfect. But if you learn those guitar parts, let alone the vocals, it's very intricate stuff. Throw into the mix singing and playing it at the same time and performing it looking like a rock star you know, it's it's not easy shoes to fill. And Phil Collin had the greatest compliment for me last year. He said, there's only one guy on earth who could do this job, and it's me. And, uh, you know, so, hey, man, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back for that Absolutely, one. man. Absolutely. Getting the compliments like that is awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks like that album, 40 Foot Ringo, uh, played off. You know, because I remember yes. that album. I remember yeah, I remember my old bass player from Electric Angels, Jonathan Daniel. He yes. said he turned me on. He turned me on to it. He gave me a CD. He said, listen to this. I think you'd like it. You know, it's your type of music. And it's I call it heavy pop. You know, it's like it's 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 heavy guitars, always guitar driven. But at the end of the day, you have that cheap trick uh pop sensibility to it and uh so for those of you who are listening out there go check out 40 foot ringo obviously go check out anything that's in uh steve brown's sort of discography and we'll probably talk about your newest stuff in just a little bit but i want to talk about a couple other bands because i know these guys as well and um i'm going to be seeing them this weekend so uh and i know you're tight with them the danger danger boys how about yes. that yes my brothers, of course, man, you know, Ted, Steve and Bruno and Rob and, you know, everybody, Paul Lane, everybody in the Danger Danger family, you know, and I, I think that's actually, well, I think that's actually how we met, kind of. I remember we, I think we met officially the first time when Throwing Rocks opened up for Alice Cooper at Jones Beach in 1996, I think it was, with the on the Scorpions Alice Cooper tour. First tour, that was the yeah. Yeah, and I remember you came in the dressing room, man, and you were like, you know, and that was throwing rocks was a complete departure from Trickster. I was I wasn't even playing guitar in that band, but you know it was very cool. And yeah, that so the Danger Danger guys go back to you know I we met them. I met I've known Ted since 1987, 86. You know he Ted was a Jersey Bowie. guy. Yeah. Ted Poley, lead singer. And um, yeah, and we, we were friends early on, right before Danger Danger, when he was a drummer in the band Prophet in New Jersey, which was a fabulous, you know, uh, killer New Jersey band. And uh, and then from with Ted, I met Steve and Bruno and a great story about, you know, how I almost was maybe the guitar player in Danger Danger was we were all backstage, Bon Jovi, Skid Row, Giant Stadium, New Jersey tour, 1989. And uh, we were all backstage and Ted brings me, he brings me over to Steve and he goes, oh, you gotta meet Steve West. And, you know, and uh, he goes to me, he goes, man, you should, we're looking for a guitar player for Danger Danger. You should be the guitar player. And he goes to me, he goes to me, man, uh, mark my words, in a year you'll be driving a Ferrari. You know, and I was like, wow, man, those are pretty strong words. But, you know, I had Trickster going. So, you know, we were kind of right behind Danger Danger as far as getting a deal. And it didn't work out. But, you know, some 30 years later, here we are playing together again. You know, <laughs> if you would have just dyed your hair blonde that that one week, man, I'm yeah. telling you, you would have been in Danger Danger and had an oversized baseball cap. You would have been in like Flynn. But you know what? It, it pays off because look at the where you're talking from now. 
the the studio that Trickster built and the one that you've maintained throughout the years of making yeah. records. This is where this is where I'm interviewing right now. As you can see, it it's the ultimate man cave. Of course, I'm in my son's room. <laughs> I'm in my son's room. He's in his man cave. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, it's Steve, all good. Whatever works. <laughs> Steve West is somewhere with his parents right now. Where's he at? His parents' parents' house. <laughs> I love Steve. I, I yeah. Told, I told uh, the guys in Danger Danger that I'd, I'd give a big shout out, you know, to, about them when I was talking to you today. So, oh man, uh, and, 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 and what's going on? Are you guys, because you're not at Sweden Rock uh, this year playing with them, but you're, but they're doing something over in the states, right? Yeah, it's kind of like I don't, I don't really know what the full story is, but you know, a couple years ago I filled in again. You know, that's kind of my thing, filling in last minute. Bruno, my good friend Bruno, my neighbor, he lives in Jersey now, so he's two towns over. He calls me up. He said, "Dude, can you learn 14 songs by Friday?" And I'm like, uh, "For you guys, of course, I'll do anything." You know, and. Um, and, you know, again, it was one of those things to where, uh, you know, I was a huge fan of Danger Danger all throughout their career, loved their records. But until I started learning their material, like Def Leppard, I didn't realize, again, you listen to it, it sounds so simple and easy. But, man, their stuff and Bruno and Steve really wrote some incredible songs with some real depth and tricky parts. And I tell Bruno and Steve all the time, I'm like, man, fuck you guys for writing these stupid, you know, the way they would change riffs around. But, you know, Bruno had a great saying about it, man. He said, hey, man, you know, I just want my stuff to be a little bit different than everybody. And I go like, man, I would never do that. You know, why you got to be so tricky with stuff? And it's cool, man. And everybody, You were the band called Trickster, man. You I know, right? <laughs> But I get that, you know, dude, I get that when people try to learn my stuff, they go, dude, some of your stuff is really tricky, but it's my stuff. Like when you write songs, it's your sort of boxes and shapes that you're used to. Yeah. So when you learn other people's stuff to them, it's simple. But for me, it's like, man, I stumble on the weirdest stuff with these bands, you know, but I, I, I get asked that about about playing and making that record with Slash, uh, Slash a Snake Pit, because everyone says, well, what's it like to play with Slash? I said, well. The cool thing about Slash is that he has his own time signature, and that's why his riff sounds so original. Oh, and yeah. He, you know, he has his own – that's why him and Steven Adler worked so well together on Appetite because one was pushing, one would one would, would push, the other would pull. And it was constantly almost falling off the tracks, but just enough for you to be really interested. So when I was yeah. writing songs with, with Snake Pit, I remember <laughs> he would come in with these riffs that – to me, almost seemed like they were out of time or off time, but I realized really quickly that no, they're exactly in his time signature. He does a lot of things on the upbeat and a lot of things on the and of four. Sure. And, and those are all just things that you don't, you just take it for granted when it's part of what your playing style is. But when you listen to it from somebody else's perspective, it's completely different. It is, man. And yeah, I, and by the way, I love that first Slash record that you did with him, man. I love that you and Dover. Just well, no, killer. that was the second one. Dover, oh, they did Ain't Life Grand was, was the album that I did on it. And they did It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. But it's weird because Dover and I ended up playing together in Alice Cooper. Gilby Clark and I, as you know, have, 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 sure. a, have a huge long history. So it is kind of, I guess we're the West Coast version of 
the Brady Bunch of Rock and a lot of the musicians playing together over there. And you have the East Coast version of that, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, and that's really cool. And what's funny is when we all get together, we're all like brothers, you know, we don't see each other, but we all speak sort of the same language because we all grew up together. And it's like, you know, that's the really cool thing about it. So, you know. When I hear you talk about the upbringing, the bands, the types of bands that you played with, uh, and the types of bands that you were influenced by, it's it's very similar to to my upbringing as well. I'm curious, man. I want to bring up one other guy because a lot of people think, oh, he's a comedian, he's not a singer, but this guy's a singer. Jim Brewer, you actually played with, right? Yes, yeah, and Jim Brewer, man. Go, yeah, Goat Boy. You played with uh, Goat Boy, but Goat Boy has a hell of a metal voice, right? Oh, he's uh, he's a killer, killer singer, great guy. Um, you know, we've been friends for a long time. And last year he called me to put together a little band. So I brought in PJ Farley and Joey Casada, my guys who we play with Eric Martin. That's the core of the Eric Martin and the Filthy Tricksters band, you know, that we go out and do that with. And uh, but Jim, yeah. And Jim called me and, you know, he said he called me when he did his solo record a couple of years ago. Um the loud and rowdy that he did. And he sent it to me and I was blown away. I was like, man, I mean, I knew he was a good singer because of his impressions. You know, of course, his ACDC is just incredible, but the guy really is a great singer. And first and foremost, he's such just a huge fan. He just loves metal. And, but his impressions have really, it's just turned into like what he really is. Like he just loves that stuff. And so we put this band together to kind of accompany his live show. And uh, it's been, it's been a blast and we're really not doing stuff. He kind of changed his show around, but what, how much fun did we have doing that was all we did was laugh the whole time. It was like, we'd go to rehearsal and I'd come home and my body hurt, not from playing, but from laughing. That reminds me of like a tenacious D type of guy, Jack oh, yeah. uh, Jack Black. Is this like the way he is such a passionate fan, but he can actually sing and perform and he brings it. So they're another band I'm going to check out this week. And it's festival weekend here in Sweden. You should take a flight over, man. We'll surprise I would Danger Danger. Love- to i would love to you know and def leopard's gonna be there i think tomorrow and you know and kiss and i think what joel and turner and skid row were playing tonight so it's like you know basically your whole resume i know right you go there right and the skid row guys you know dude they go back i met the skid row guys back when they had their old singer back in 1986 you know right when i met you know the great jack ponty you know and all these guys from jersey Everybody, all of us, when we get together, it's crazy, you know, and some of these guys I don't see for five, ten years, but when we do see each other, it's like we were together yesterday, and that's the cool thing about our, you know, brotherhood that we have. Well, I mean, friendships run deep. Guitars run even deeper sometimes, yes, all right? Sure. And that's why, and are there any of those same guitars that you jammed with Back in the Trickster days or, or any of the bands that you've played with over the years, did you, you still have that go-to guitar? Because I see there's a couple around you in the studio. Yeah, I mean, honest, sadly, I don't have any of the go-tos. Um, you know, my main guitars back in the Trickster days are long gone. You know, my, I do have a funny story. My original, my first real good guitar, which was a, it was the cheapo Ibanez Iceman. But there's pictures of me playing it. That was the one that I used when Trickster started getting momentum till I got my first Charvel guitar back in the day, back in 1985 or 86. 
but my childhood friend still has it and he fucking won't sell it back to me. So I'm gunning for you. The Iceman was the Paul Stanley sig- yes. uh, sort of signature model. And yes. I remember my first, one of my first guitars, my very, very first guitar, I ended up trading with a bunch of other guitars for this one uh, humbucker pickup guitar, which was an Ibanez Destroyer, which is yes. basically a copy of a uh, Explorer. So you, so I think they had the Explorer in candy apple red or blue, and I think they had the Iceman it was just, was it only black or was that the Paul Stanley model? I think it was, I had a black one. I had a black one, which then I put on some tape to sort of Van Halenize it, you know. But yeah, you know, I mean, I'm just, you know, typically, man, and here's, you know, this is my main, this is my main rock, you know, the the Eddie Van Halen Wolfgang. This is, the, these are the guitars that basically I was always, a, you know, locking tremolo guy. You know, I got my FU tone bridge and, you know, it's a, this has been my guitar, the Van Halen styles guitars, and I've been endorsed through Eddie for the last 30 years since he was with PV and even Music Man back in the day. So those are my go-tos, you know, that type of guitar. But, you know, I over the years, man, it's just been a plethora and I have a bunch of different tools that I use in the studio. And I told you the other day, I just got this new Solar guitar with an Evertune bridge on it, which, yeah. you know, Solar is a sweet, you know, Ola England is a Swedish guy. Yeah, yeah. And he, these guitars are just awesome. I've been using it in the studio for rhythm tracks. It's just, you know, the Evertune Bridge, perfect intonation. Every it, it never goes out of tune. It, no, never, it, it really doesn't. It's incredible, man. You know, saves me hours of having to sit there, you know, when you're doing the high overdubs, you know, doing like jangly stuff, how you used to have to like tune, you know, tune your guitar for those, just that part and punch in. I don't have to do any of that shit anymore. Thanks to Bruno Ravel for that, because he's the one who's been telling me for eight years to get, dude, you got to get an Evertune guitar. You trust me. And I get the hype now. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, I see as far as the amps go, I, I'm a Marshall traditionalist, but I see the EVH right behind you. Oh, is, yeah. Is that is uh, Eddie Van Halen, uh, what, 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 the 5150 amps, is that the ones that you use? Yeah, yeah, that's the, you know, I've used all the ones from back, you know, the PB days, and now, of course, the new, you know, the 5153s, that's just, that's just my thing, you know, it's kind of like, if you, I, people ask me my style, and it's like, just kind of take, you know, take Van Halen and, you know, and, and put my thing, maybe Van, combine Van Halen, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, you got my sort of playing style, Neil Sean, little more, you know, thematic and melodic. And that's, that's what I'm looking at. So these amps have just been my, you know, forte for years and just get me that sound that I, that I love. And, you know, and you know how to tra- dial it up. You work with it in the studio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, your man cave slash studio. Yeah. Um, what about these recordings that you have been doing in your house? Are you working on anything new right now? Is there something coming up in the pipeline? What's happening? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually right now. I'm full in the trenches. Here's here's all my notes for the new uh, Tokyo Motor Fist records for uh, Frontiers Records. It's kind of a super group. No, it is a super group, if you will. Who's um, in it? It's it's my good buds, Ted Poley from Danger Dangers, lead vocalist. Greg Smith, who I think you know, Greg Smith on bass. Of course. The great, uh, you know, he's in Ted Nugent. I think he played with you and Alice for a little while. Toured together. Yep. You know, and I was there when he got his bass cleft tattoo. I oh, there. there you go. Des- designed by Calico Cooper. Not, 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 not a lot of people know it, but he was, we, I, I still remember it was Salt Lake City and, uh, 
Everybody had had a couple uh, cocktails afterwards and was feeling really good. And this was the days before, you know, when everybody was getting a tattoo. Everyone needed a tattoo. So I think the same night, Calico got a tramp stamp. And uh, <laughs> I love it. And I don't know actually what the Chinese symbol actually means. It might mean something different than what was actually said it would mean. And then Greg was going, well, I don't know what to get. I don't know what to get. And I remember Calico just going, bass clef. Bass clef. And he's like, yeah, bass clef. I play bass. That would be a good tattoo. Yeah, and, yeah. And so there, if you ever want to see uh, Calico Cooper's uh, tattoo artistry, check out Greg Smith's. I think it's on his arm. I hope it's on his arm. Where yeah, else is the bass clef? <laughs> oh, with Greg, with Greg yeah, you never have any idea where it could be. But uh, you got yes. Ted and Greg and who else in the band? And, and the great Chuck Berge on drums, you know, who was, uh, you know, the famous Chuck Berge, who's my neighbor. He lives, you know, it's funny where I am in Jersey. I got Chuck is two towns over up more north and Bruno Ravel's two towns, you know, further south from me. So, yeah, we got a great little area up here in northern New Jersey. But, yeah, Chuck, uh, you know, from Rainbow and now he's Billy Joel's drummer and he's all also the drummer of Tokyo Motor Fist. And, you know, he's been a lifelong friend of mine, you know, for a long time. I met Chuck when I was a little kid, when I would hang out at Sam Ash in Paramus, New Jersey, the music store. And I would uh, wait for Jolyn Turner and Chuck Berge to come in and uh, from their breaks on the Rainbow Tour. And every once in a while, I'd see them there. And I'd like, I was probably 12 or 13 then, man. And I'd go up and like tug on there. Hey, aren't you Jolyn Turner? Aren't you Chuck Berge? And uh, here I am playing with these guys now that's but great. we have a great we have a great new band tokyo motor fist we put out a record uh two years ago that was you know uh had a tremendous response you know great melodic hard rock record so we're working on uh the second one right now okay so when can we expect in 2019 or 2020 2020 probably first yeah. quarter of 2020 and uh can't wait you know it's been a really cool thing and you know the cool thing about tokyo motor fist is you know like a lot of these you know records from these bands that are so-called supergroups, they never play live. We're a real band that we played a couple shows. We've done a couple festivals. We're doing the Monsters of Rock cruise in uh, in February of 2020, and uh, it's a it's a real band as much as it can be, um, you know. And of course, the camaraderie and the humor is there. And uh, it's, it's I think it's that's just like, that's the necessity. That that is a requirement in in, a, in any band today. That you uh, that because that was one thing that I, I was talking with uh, Phil X from Bon Jovi, and he was saying. I was asking him that same question. What's the most thing about guitar and business? If you can give us some sort of special golden advice. And he'd say, you know, have a sense of humor, comedy, you know, when you're on the road, because that's so important. Of course it is. Of course it is. That's, you know, and you know, man, for being out on tour and, you know, when you when you travel with people, you know, being in a band is just not about playing and how great you are on stage, how great how great, you know, how what great songs you write. It's about how you get along with each other, because besides those two hours on stage, there's another 22 hours, you know, that you got to be together. I don't know how much you sleep or whatnot, but that's a lot of time on a tour bus. So the personal angle and humor, Phil, I love Phil X. I love that guy because he has such a great sense of humor. That's why we get along so good every time we hang out, because it's we don't really talk about guitars. We're talking about jokes and 
quoting movies, you know, and the same thing, Joe Elliott, you know, another guy, Def Leppard, one of the funniest guys. And all we do, we do movie references, Caddyshack, you know, Caddyshack and, you know, all the time, Spinal Tap, the movie references. And we just laugh and laugh. And that is that's what gets you through the day a lot of the times. A, a lot of people don't know what a knowledgeable rock and roll uh, guy Joe Elliott is. He knows oh. all about that early 70s glam, uh, oh. rock and roll. He knew everything about Alice Cooper, his discography. He even knew the stuff, that, you know, when I was playing with Alice, when I first joined, we, we did The Eyes of Alice Cooper and Dirty Diamonds. He knew all about those records. So um, hats off to him. He, he really knows his stuff when it comes to... He, he Joe is like beyond comprehension. I remember, you know, Phil telling me, you know, a story a couple years ago, which I thought was great. Um, when they went to see Queen, I think it was on the works tour and they were backstage and all of a sudden Joe went up to Freddie Mercury and started talking to him about some. I don't know what it was. I think it was like some B-sides or even some early recordings that Freddie did before he was even in Queen. And all of a sudden, the next thing Phil said, the next thing you know, Freddie took Joe into his dressing room and they were just talking about, you know, all these offshoot bands. Joe knows everything about every British band that there is. And anytime I find out, you know, about a new band, like I just, you know, found out about the sensational Alex Harvey band that I never knew about. And I'm kind of going back. And I, I, anytime there's a band, I text Joe and I go, dude, do you know these guys? What should I I listen to he goes do i know him that's my favorite band and he's then the next thing you know he emails me a playlist whether it's the you know the alex harvey band the tubes all these bands that like i didn't really know about but i'm learning about now he's like the you know he's like the encyclopedia for that i hope some of you guys that are listening out there guys and gals listening be writing this stuff down sensational alex harvey band is a great if you want to find out where i guess bond scott maybe got a little bit of his attitude totally. and a little bit of his vibe from everything comes from something. Don't, don't ever sure. forget that, but to uh, yeah. check out a little bit of midnight Moses from out sensational. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. That's that's the cool thing, you know, and that was always my biggest thing, you know, later on after, you know, but probably in the late 80s, early 90s, when I, you know, after being such a fan of, you know, whether it's Van Halen or whatever, then I would get into the deep history, which is something, another thing for all the listeners and viewers out there. When you love a band, go to go back to see what they were influenced by. And one of the coolest things is I found out Van Halen, Eddie and Alex especially, were such huge fans of Grand Funk Railroad. You know, Mark Farner, that was the band that they like kind of modeled themselves after, you know, and and then when I heard that, I went back and discovered Grand Funk Railroad. And if you listen to Foot Stomping Music by Grand Funk Railroad, it's So This Is Love by Van Halen. Boop, pacha, boop, pacha. Where did you get that from? You know, and then I learned from Carmine Apiece that Cactus was a huge influence on Van Halen. Parchment Farm, you know, did that, did that, did that, did that. Where'd you get that from? And it was like, I was like, man, I thought Van Halen invented this stuff, but it was an influence. And so then you learn all these things. And then one cool thing was I got all these bootleg videos. I'm a huge bootleg video collector. I got these Grand Funk Railroad things. I told Eddie Van Halen about it. He's like, he was, while he was smoking a cigarette, he goes, he goes, you got you got that video of uh, Grand Funk at uh, the LA Forum in 1970? He's like, 
Here's my FedEx number. Send that to the house. And I, uh, here I am fucking sending Eddie Van Halen, you know, pro shot bootleg videos. I'm like, this is fucking cool, man. I'm sending Eddie Van Halen Grand Funk Railroad videos. So, yeah, that, that's a cool thing. Absolutely, man. And, and, and it's a great way to get in with one of your heroes, too. You send him oh. something that, he, that he's truly interested in. He's going to be your pal now. Well, that was the that was the great story about Joe and and, you know, and Freddie Mercury, you know, and sadly for me, I never got to see Queen or got to see Freddie Mercury live. But I did get to go see Queen in 2014 when I was with Def Leppard out at the L.A. Forum. And, you know, I had met Brian May, you know, back in when he was doing his solo tour, I think in 1992 or 93, when we were opening for Kiss, we were at a truck stop together when him and Cozy Powell were in the in the, uh, you know, in like the the Shoney's or whatever the truck stop was. And I remember somebody going, holy shit, Brian May's in there. I'm like, what? And ran in. And so fast forward to 2014 when I got to go see Queen with Adam Lambert and, you know, just an incredible thing. So, you know, that's a great thing. Yeah. Bonding with your heroes over their influences, you know, and Joe's Joe's always been great like that. Well, next time uh, we got you on the podcast, next we're going to bring you down. We'll go more in depth to those guys and we'll see who we have run across on our travels since this conversation so uh, steve thanks for coming in the trenches with us um it's been great getting to know more about your history getting to know more about uh all the incredible sort of musicians that you played with you've definitely been in the trenches you've definitely uh paid your dues but it's definitely paid off for you and uh like I said, what's the best way for our listeners to check you out if they want to find out more about you and find out more about your music? Just uh, I'm on Twitter, Steve Brown Rocks and Instagram, man. I'm not really a big social media guy like some like some of you cats out there, as I should be. But that's it, man. And, you know, check it out. I'm playing in my grade 80s band a lot on the East Coast Rubik's Cube. And, you know, what do I got coming up? I got a couple shows with Dennis DeYoung in July. And you never know what else. You know, a couple Eric Martin band shows coming up in July. And, you know, and that's it. And just working on the Tokyo Motor Fist record and, uh, and taking care of my family and enjoying life, dude. As I tell everybody, I'm one of the luckiest guys on earth. Every dream I ever had came true a hundred times over. Here I am talking to you from my basement in New Jersey via Stockholm, Sweden. So how cool is that, man? <laughs> one last question. You know, you got I, came, I came up with my name, Ryan Roxy. How the hell did you come up with a stage name like Steve Brown? You know, <laughs> it's, where did you, you know, get that, man? Where did you get Steve Brown? Like, what happened? Where did it start one? <laughs> it pretty much, yeah, it's one of those things, you know, where it, it's a lot of thinking, you know, it's either going to be something like Steve Sinister or, Steve, you know, something like that. But here's a funny story, you know, man, people come up to me and honestly, Steve Brown is my God given name. It's on my birth certificate, it's on my license, it's everywhere. It's no joke, okay? But I actually have people who come up to me, Steve Brown, is that your stage name? And I go, man, I go, no way. No, I'm like, it's my real name. I said, if I was going to have a stage name, I would change my name to something like Bobby Volante or something cool, you know, like, I mean, but I guess Steve Brown is a pretty cool name. And you could always go with you could always go with John Smith. 
Yeah, there you go. John Smith. <laughs> yeah, Bob Bob White. It's it's just it's it doesn't get any more, you know, any any more, you know, simple than that. But yeah, that's my name and you know, God bless Sticking it. To it. Yeah, it's, it's working that's my stage name. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, thanks for coming on in the trenches, man. And uh hold on for just one second. I want to talk to you a little bit, but I'm gonna stop the recording, but uh and let all the other listeners go about do what they gotta do. But in the meantime, uh, we'll see you next time in the trenches. Thank you for watching the pod. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And you know how to get in touch with us. Just check out all the information that's on the description below. And we will see you next time on In the Trenches. Ryan Roxy, enjoy the ride. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy.